You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Start of a brand new week. It's Monday, August the 8th. I'm still in Saratoga, where I've enjoyed a terrific weekend's racing here. Life is good did indeed win the Whitney Stakes from his stable companion, Happy Saver. Reflections on that later in the show. Did he enhance or detract from his claims to win the Breeders' Cup Classic this year in uncharted territory of a mile and a quarter? Matt Bonilla will be along to discuss that. It was a momentous weekend here at the Spa for William Buick. He'd never ridden at Saratoga before. He now leaves with a two-for-two record, grade ones, and terrifically well-judged rides on both Nation's Pride and yesterday, the filly with the moonlight who completed the double in the Saratoga Oaks. The Shergar Cup came and went at Ascot. There was a sparkling performance in France at Deauville from John Quinn's wonderful mare, Highfield Princess, winning the Group 1 pre-Morris de Geest at Deauville. We'll be reflecting on that. But surely the performance that raised most eyebrows over the course of the last 48, 72 hours was that of Little Big Bear in the Group 1 Phoenix Stakes at the Curra, comfortably dispatching the highly touted Brad Sell and Persian Force who ran through for second. Could this be... The great star that Aidan O'Brien, well, I won't say he's been waiting for, because let's face it, he's trained enough stars during his career and 17 winners of this very event. But could this be the sparkling horse that really captures the imagination from Bally Doyle uh, in, in, in recent seasons, David Yates of the Daily Mirror? Well, he certainly could be. Um, it's, it's hard to think of a, a more impressive winner of that race, uh, the Phoenix Stakes on Saturday. Um you know the the way that he strode away from Persian Force marked him as a as a, a two year old of the the very top level, didn't it? He's now the five to one favourite for the two thousand guineas at, at Newmarket next spring. Um, interestingly, talking to Aidan O'Brien after the race, he said that the reason that they ran the horse in the Windsor Castle, of course, at Royal Ascot, um, that. One shouldn't read too much into that, that it was early days um, in the, the Ballydoyle two-year-old pecking order and they were just basically finding races uh, for each individual horse. Um, obviously, the, the Windsor Castle wouldn't be uh, the Coventry Stakes, for example, or indeed the Chesham, which is a race that um, Aidan O'Brien has targeted with his good horses, his good two-year-olds in the past. You would understand why they went I suppose, for the five furlong option at Ascot because Little Big Bear is a son of No Nay Never. He's now stepped up uh, to six furlongs on his last two starts and has been wildly impressive. So it's uh, it's interesting to, to mull over this horse's prospects of getting a mile. Obviously, he's by No Nay Never a sprinter, but it's mm-hmm. interesting to look at his damn adventure seeker. Uh, she was in training for the uh, Wildensteins with Alain de Roy Dupre a few years ago, and she was a listed winner over 10 furlongs. So that raises hopes that little Big Bear will get a mile. After the race, Aidan O'Brien said that the Nunthorpe uh, 
was a was a possibility for Little Big Bear. I spoke to him this morning, though, Nick, and he said that they're they're very likely now to look at the national stakes for this horse to test him over seven furlongs. And there was an issue with him kicking a wall uh, before the race, and and he was only late on was he given the the, the blessing of of Lynn Hillier and the and uh, Aiden to to run on Saturday. Um, he said that the horse will be tender for a few days, and so uh, it's uh, th- that tantalising possibility of of him running in the Nunthorpe won't come to pass. Now he'll be aimed at the national stakes, and they'll see how he gets on at seven. The way that he hit the line over six, you would think that going up in distance shouldn't be a problem for him. Yes, he doesn't move like a sprinter, does he? he? He's got a nice long stride. He really stretches out. He's got, as you say, the arc winner all along in his pedigree. So there's a bit of middle distance ballast to it. No Nay Nevers already had a Guineas winner in Alcohol Free, who also beat the Colts and the Sussex Stakes. So I think there's quite strong chances that he's he's a horse who could who could win a, a two thousand Guineas. Yeah, I mean, well, at this stage, he's the clubhouse leader, isn't he? And he's not the clubhouse leader because no one else has. Um, has uh, finished their rounds. He, he's a clubhouse leader because, you know, he, he posted a very, very impressive performance on Saturday. It, it's it's probably just worth pointing out with Brad Sell, who was the, the Coventry winner who was favourite for Saturday's race. He, he stumbled leaving the stalls and then uh, took another uh, false step I think between the the two furlong and the one furlong pole, um, he beat just one home of the five. Um, it looked as though all wasn't well with him. I, I, I suspect we might hear of something in the in in the short to medium term about Brad Sell. Um, I hope that he's okay, but clearly that wasn't his running at the weekend. If we take it as read that Persian forces run his race, however, then that gives us a little bit of context to the form, or quite a lot of context to the form. In saying that, that Brad Sell was below form, you rightly point out Persian Force, it didn't look as though he was. Um, this is a horse who's had rave reviews from Richard Hannon. He was mystified when the horse was uh, beaten at Royal Ascot. And, well, if that is his running, then that <laughs> that's quite some portent for the winner, isn't it? Because he, the way that uh, he galloped away inside the final furlong to win by seven lengths is is something that we see very rarely, and that includes from uh, horses who are trained by Aidan O'Brien. It'll be it'll be really informative to see what he can do at seven furlongs in the national stakes on what's that September the eleventh, isn't it? At the uh, the second day of the Irish Champions Weekend. Now, if Aidan O'Brien is not afraid to run horses, neither is Yorkshire-based trainer John Quinn, whose Highfield Princess made her racecourse debut in June of 2020. It's little over two years since, and she has now run 28 times. <laughs> and she won her great uh, Group 1. Uh, you can tell I've been in America too long. She won her Group 1 uh, at the uh, Pre-Morris de Geest at Deauville yesterday with a pretty sparkling performance, Dave, against a pretty representative field what did you make of it well i mean it was a a really warming result wasn't it the um we've had in the the king george the victory of pile driver uh, at ascot at the end of last month and and this was a, another one whereby with absolutely no disrespect meant to john quinn and jason hart it was john quinn's second victory at Group 1 level. The first was uh, the wow signal a few years ago. It was a first at the at the uh, top tier for Jason Hart. And these are great results, aren't they? Um, as you say, she has been some performer uh, over the last few seasons. She's 
five years old now, and she's won 10 of those 28 starts. When you consider that uh, during the early part of her career, she was rubbing shoulders in handicap company, that is an incredible strike rate. When you get races that are won by stables and jockeys who, who aren't regular winners in uh, this level it just adds so much more to the sport and yesterday was a was a really good case in point well if you were with me on the on the friday of glorious goodwood you'll have heard me talking to to sean quinn son and assistant to, to father john about highfield princess and he was telling us about the plans to target the morris de geest and he's with me now you were on duty at deauville yesterday sean how big a day for for your stable was that oh it was it was massive nick it's um it looked to be a very, very hot renewal of of the Morris de Geest. I thought with the with the likes of Naval Crown and Perfect Power, or just just to name a couple, turning up and um, taking on on those type of horses in Group One races is, is what it's all about. I was I was very pleased when I saw the the pictures coming through from Dover yesterday that uh, Jingri was leading Highfield Princess up to to Group One victory. I've known you and been involved in your yard since about 2005, and and Jing's been there ever since. He he's part of the furniture at Highfield, isn't he? Yeah, he certainly is, and he he runs the yard up the back at Highfield. He's got 33 horses in his care, and she's one of them. And you know, it it shows what it means to to these guys and girls. He he actually had this weekend was booked off. He had it booked off months ago. It was his friend's wedding, and uh, he. Uh, he got excused by his friends to, to come to France and, and lead up his filly. So turned down a, a huge celebration because that's what these animals mean to him. Well, it's wonderful for him, wonderful for all of you, and particularly for your landlord, John Fairley, who who named the, the filly after after the yard and who, who bred her himself and she was foaled in France, which means she's eligible for a whopping premium. So he picked up nearly €300,000. It doesn't get much better than that. No, no. I mean, he, ever since she she started to, to hit her straps and work her way through handicap company, he was always saying to to to, to, to John and I, if if ever you get a chance to take her to France, there's there's some nice premiums available. Um, and uh, we took her there. I think it was the end of her three year old career. She, she wasn't maybe entitled to go at the time. She was rated somewhere in the eighties, Nick. Anyway, she failed to, to get black type and. Uh, I don't think at that point we thought eighteen months later she'd be she'd be heading back and uh, and running in a Morris de Geest. I said she's run twenty eight times now, which is pretty extraordinary in a little over two years. How does she do it? What is it about her that has enabled her not only to take so much racing but also to improve so sharply? Mm, I, I, good question. I, I don't know. Um, she, she she does herself incredibly well. She she's a very very uncomplicated mare. Um, she's she's a very she looks after herself well all she did since she arrived in Deauville was was drink she went a little bit off her food but that's not unusual for a horse that's, that's travelled like she has in, in this sort of heat um, but she she drank incredibly well and, and when she's at home she gets turned out in, in paddocks after exercise and that kind of thing um, keeps her sweet but she wears her heart on her sleeve in her in her races with her run style. She tries incredibly hard, so it is remarkable how much racing she stood. Um, the other point is, of, of course, we had her pegged as a seven furlong filly, really, and she seems to have got quicker and quicker and quicker, and she bolted up in the Duke of York, and you're now thinking of options over five. Now, you did say that you could go Morris to Geese Nunthorpe. Your dad seemed to suggest that might not be the case yesterday. What, what are, What's the team talk suggesting now? Well, we, we, we discussed trying to get um, her, her onto an aeroplane um, 
to, to, to come to Deauville and fly out on the day, um, or, or certainly early this morning. And in truth, it, the, the cost of it was huge, Nick. Um, so so we, 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 we sort of swerved that option. She's still in Deauville at present. She'll be leaving um, early Monday afternoon. But getting her back and turning her around for an thought that would just be incredibly hard on the mayor. Um, so I think I haven't spoken with, with John Fairley or, or John Quinn about it, but I think the three of us all feel that it might be just biting off a little more than, than she can chew. And with such good options shortly afterwards, um, we'd be happy to wait for them, I'd have thought. So races like the Flying Five, the Haydock Park Sprint Cup and, and so forth. Now, I'm intrigued by this Breeders' Cup plan because I read that you were thinking of sliding her in the dirt race over seven furlongs, the Philly and Mayor Sprint. What's the thinking behind that? You very rarely see a European having a bash on the dirt now. Yeah, I think I think um, my father was, was a bit excited after the race um, and... Uh, <laughs> He wasn't there, and, and, and somebody from the press rang him, and he, he, as he rightly said, all, all options are open. Initially, we, the, the five-and-a-half furlong race on turf makes huge appeal, but we have had in the back of our mind that she might be a filly that's best with a bit of ease in the ground, but the, the ground was so, so hard in Deauville this weekend. It's been absolutely baking. I'm not apportioning any blame to the track or anything. The, the conditions are what they are, but jockeys were reporting that it was riding very quick given the performance she put up on that running on grass in in keeneland wouldn't necessarily worry us um the 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 dirt is an option if we if we didn't want to run on very very hard ground at keeneland for instance there are actually dirt winners in her pedigree there are a few good japanese horses further down her pedigree that did well on dirt um and it, we thought if we took her all the way to America and, and we didn't want to run on grass, she'd get a run in the dirt race. And John Fairley is a is a sporting man, and we wouldn't be afraid to throw our hat in the ring if 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 we needed to. Sean Quinn, there, uh, assistant trainer of Highfield Princess, who won the Primoris de Geest at Deauville yesterday. Talking of Brits flying abroad, William Buick and Charlie Appleby are the double here in saratoga buick seemed completely enamored of the place I, I can quite understand why in truth and he leaves with a perfect two for two record having won the saratoga derby on the very talented nation's pride improving on his second placing at belmont park and with the moonlight took the phillies equivalent in the middle of yesterday afternoon uh, david yates uh, buick is now um really bestriding the global stage like the the world-class jockey he's looking yeah he really is and there's been Well, I wonder if there's been a change in uh, Will Buick's body language over the last couple of years, Nick, or whether I'm just simply imagining it because he's been so successful. But he just has this air of supreme confidence these days, I think, when riding in Britain, um, which you can understand given the the success that he's had over the past few years. Do Do you share... Uh, my uh, my perception of Will Buick in that sense, or or is that just my imagination? No, definitely, and clearly, good horses make good riders. And if you've got a, a firing Godolphin Charlie Appleby string at your disposal, then that's going to fill you with great confidence. But I, I, I remember Will Buick when he was riding in the Breeders' Cup and was having difficult times on on the Fugue, for example. And yes. uh, he cuts an incredibly different figure now. He was, of course, very young then; he was only in his early twenties. He always was gifted. 
always yeah. supremely gifted. You know, Ian Balding famously backed him to be champion jockey one day when he was 16 or whatever it was. But you've got that great combination of that natural talent now allied to that ex global experience uh, at the top level. And you, you need, I think, a few years of that, you know, four or five years of that riding around the world against the very top jockeys to be to be in that elite bracket, however, however gifted you are. So he's you know, the perfect, the perfect buccaneering stage of his career, you know, still got youth on his side, but got the experience, has the talent, gets the chance to ride abroad, will be champion jockey this year, barring anything untoward. So, no, I, I agree with you completely. I always think with top class flat jockeys you need a few years i remember john ox saying that he thought that 30 was the the time when a, a jockey's muscle memory and, and and experience everything pieces together uh to make a rider at the peak of their powers and that's what we're seeing with will buick now so we were billing the whitney stakes which took place saturday evening here in saratoga as one of the great races of the year in the US, as so often when you bill a race thus, it perhaps doesn't quite live up to, to expectations. Life is good, however, one of the world's best sources was good. But NBC's Matt Benier, was he any more than that? No, I, I think he did what he needed to do. And to your point, so often we look at these kind of races and, and we build them up and we build them up and almost to the point where they can't quite deliver on the expectation and I think this is kind of a, a prime example of that you had the best of the best on the east coast uh, but when push comes to shove Olympiad didn't run his race and life is good as impressive as he was I don't know that it, it was an effort that sort of dispelled any concerns about a mile and a quarter mile and an eighth certainly no issue for this horse he's brilliantly fast and he can carry that speed a long way but boy if you push him out an extra eighth of a mile for a moment there, it looked like Happy Saver would get to him, and he couldn't quite finish the deal. But I don't know. I, Nick, the race doesn't do anything to sort of squash my concerns about this horse at 10 furlongs. I think life is good, is as talented as anyone. I just don't know how far he truly wants to go. Yeah, I, sp I suppose it was the rather insipid performances of, of Hot Rod Charlie and uh, Olympiad that, that rather took the, the guilt off the gingerbread slightly. What do you make of Olympiad? It, people will say, oh, it's his first time against proper horses. He was found out. Are you prepared to take a reductive approach like that or not? No, I mean, as disappointing as it was, he's still in Hall of Fame hands with Bill Mott, and I'm inclined to give him a mulligan, um, sort of a, a theory that we all work off of in the United States. I say all of us, not everyone prescribes to it, but uh, the bounce theory that the race prior to an effort if it is so substantial and so significant, it can take a little bit out of a horse and their subsequent effort is lackluster and they need one before they round back into form. And Stephen Foster was still, I think, arguably the most impressive performance of the year right there with flight line that mile. Um, I can't help but think that it must have just been an off day for him. Some horses don't like Saratoga. I'm not ready to throw that out there. I think for whatever reason, he just didn't fire, but... He's run too well, too consistently for me to look at the Whitney on Saturday and say, well, now he's no good. He can't figure. Uh, he's certainly still a player, in my opinion, for the Breeders' Cup Classic. This hurts his cause a little bit. He needs to now answer the question, you know, can you bounce back from it? But I've yet to see any reason why he couldn't bounce back from it. It was a dull effort, point blank. There's really nothing else to say. Um, but I don't think all of a sudden he's a no-hoper. Uh, and Hot Rod Charlie, he traveled around really rather nicely to, on the inside, which was to the consternation of some, before tipping out and then not really finding a great deal. Where are we at with him now? 
I think he kind of is what he is, and I know that may sound callous, but he's a good horse. I don't think he's an exceptional talent. He fits in amongst these other runners from a speed figure standpoint. Uh, He's still among the fastest in the United States as far as route dirt horses are concerned. But it feels like when push comes to shove and he takes on the cream of the crop, he just doesn't quite pass the test. And my biggest concern with this horse, if you go through his entire career, He's at his best when he's controlling things on the front end. The problem is he is not naturally as fast as a life is good, as an Olympiad to an extent, certainly not as fast early as a horse like Flightline. And when he has to take up the chase, he's just not nearly as talented or as good as when he's out there dictating the pace. So I think it puts him in a bit of a compromising position. I think everyone involved, there needs to be sort of a sort of a moment of of reality of that. Look, this is a really good horse. If everything breaks our way, we are certainly in with a chance. But more likely than not, we're going to be settling for minor awards in races of this caliber. Okay, so coming back to where we started this conversation, if your concern is real that life is good, is vulnerable at a distance in excess of a mile and an eighth, and therefore you don't want to be betting him for the Breeders' Cup Classic, and you accept the fact that if Flightline passes his next test in the Pacific Classic, he'll be a very short price favorite to win at Keeneland in, in early November, who would you rate as Flightline's biggest danger? If you were uh, John Sadler, uh, uh, what horse would you be losing most sleep over, if any at all? I think the most logical one is Country Grammar. For Bob Baffert, the horse is a proper mile and a quarter type. He is not. He is basically the antithesis of everyone else that we've talked about, where these other horses need to prove that they can get the mile and a quarter. Country Grammar is at his best when we get out to a mile and a quarter. So he would be sort of 1A as far as a concern for flight line goes. But a horse that I still believe in, and maybe I'm uh, overrating him slightly, but I really don't think I am. American Revolution scratched from Saturday's Whitney because of common ownership. Goes out for Todd Fletcher coming out of the same barn as well. Uh, but maybe he's not as naturally talented as life is good, but at a mile and a quarter, that can be the great equalizer. And it's not as though American Revolution is a bum. I think he's a really talented horse, particularly as the distances get longer. So if he can build upon the Stephen Foster where he finished second to Olympiad, and if we're being honest, the Foster right now looks a little suspect. Mandaloon came back, didn't run well out in California. We saw Olympiad on Saturday, but I'm inclined to think that there were some circumstantial things there. If American Revolution runs the race, I think he's capable of in the Jockey Club Gold Cup Labor Day weekend at Saratoga. I think all of a sudden he's a name that's going to pop up on many more people's top fives or top tens for the classic. Uh, my most recent submission, I rated him third behind Flightline and Country Grammar. I, I think he's a proper mile and a quarter Breeders' Cup Classic type. So Country Grammar and American Revolution will be the two for me. Matt Bonilla there with, uh, as ever, an excellent pithy review of the Whitney Stakes, which took place here at Saratoga, steamy Saratoga, on Saturday evening. David Yates is still with me. Uh, David, you were at Ascot on Saturday for the Shergar Cup. I was reading with great interest Lee Mottishead's excellent piece in the Racing Post today, where he said that the walk-up numbers at Ascot would have only amounted to a few hundred people, and that even without an official figure, the crowd was notably down. We are banging a bit of a drum here, aren't we? Yeah, we are. And it was... um... 
I, I read Lee's piece with interest and I, I agreed with it. Um, there is no doubt that while it was a, a good atmosphere and, a, and a, a noisy atmosphere that, you know, you, you know with Ascot when you're walking around the place from the press room down uh, to the winner's enclosure, it's either difficult uh, to negotiate because there are lots of bodies in your way or it's a pretty free and easy journey. And on Saturday, it was the latter. Uh, numbers were definitely down. And yeah, this is a, th- this is a trend. Um, Lee's piece was interesting talking about musical theatre and theatre generally and how numbers have gone up since the pandemic. I'd be quite interested to see how the the lower reaches of professional football, how their numbers hold up uh, during the coming weeks. Um, I, I wonder whether racing will be out on its own with these numbers coming down. I think there's no doubt that the cost of living crisis does impact. A a day at the races is potentially, if you factor in uh, travel, admission prices, if your betting doesn't go well, and you're also, uh, along with the people that you're with, eating and drinking, it can be a pretty expensive day. And I think that 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 is the main reason for numbers going down. it's it's obviously it's a real headache for for racing incorporated to try and find a solution to this um habits clearly have changed over the last couple of years and and we need to get them back to where they were lee also made the point that if he wants to go and see the excellent um crazy for you in chichester festival theater he has to go and see it Uh, he can't watch it on television Uh, we are blessed in in britain particularly there's so much racing not on just the, the the digital channels but also on the terrestrial IT, itv service either on itv or itv4 over 100 days days a year now uh, you kind of can't have your cake and eat it all those days of terrestrial tv drive up the levy drive up racing's funding nobody's going to say please don't give us that much racing on the telly nobody within the in the corridors of power in the sport anyway but if if you then want people to come as well you then have to make a a really superior experience on the race day something that is really going to tantalize not just in terms of the quality of the product that you're offering in terms of the quality of the sport you're offering i should say but also in terms of the customer experience the the ability to to eat well and drink well and uh, sit comfortably and 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 see and see well and that is not clearly evidently not the case at most british race courses i think one of the one of the the difficulties that we've got and Lee mentions field sizes at the moment, are we, are we producing a compelling product that let's, let's park the the TV part of it just for one moment. Are we, are we putting on a compelling product that people uh, almost have no choice, but to come and see, well, I think everybody knows the answer to that. It's no. Um, And, well, I think the answer the answer is occasionally, isn't it? That's oh, the... yes. Okay, okay. I meant, are we are we consistently putting on a compelling product? That the answer to that is no. Um, with regard to the uh, what the race courses can do about this, I think that uh, certainly in the early part of this year, certainly when the flat season started, there were. Uh, there were plenty of complaints on social media from racegoers who felt that uh, racecourses were trying to get back what they'd lost during COVID in one hit, and that basically that this was this was short termism on the part of racecourses, which would go off in their faces. Now, whether we're seeing that, I think we very we very likely are. Um, 
it's it's incumbent on racecourses to take a, a long-term view as much as they possibly can with this and that rather than just try and uh, get back what they've lost in in one go by uh by overcharging they have to make this uh, an affordable and an attractive experience uh, otherwise numbers will not only stay where they are but they might even go down further and on a related point, yesterday on the racing debate on Sky Sports Racing, William Haggis said, never mind cutting 300 races, which was a proposal that was rejected but put on the table the back end of last year, we need to cut 300 fixtures off the fixture list. Now, to my mind, Dave, I was a little confused because I would imagine that William Haggis is one of the senior trainers that that Peter Saville has consulted, though I don't know that for a, for a fact. Uh, and it seems to me that there's buy-in from the Savalarati, if you like, that the, the the way forward, in fact, is not to create this this binary vision of the sport where it's either protecting and burnishing the elite racing at the expense of the bad stuff or it's pilot high, sell it cheap. In fact, under Savile's plan, you do both. You you slice the racing off, off the top end to make it more competitive. You put all the money into it and then you say to the bottom end, you can run as many races as you want, but it, it has to be more self-sustaining. And then you get a pyramid of races that better match the pyramid of horses in training. You're not actually saying, right, slash a load of races and slash a load of horses out of it. But Haggis seems to be back to sort of the more traditional orthodoxy of cut loads of fixtures. Where would you stand on that? Yeah, I mean, I I, I read, uh, I, I listened to your uh, interview with Peter Sav with great interest. And I thought, I must say, I, I thought it made an awful lot of sense. Um, I was the 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 report that was leaked to the Times during Goodwood got a few details wrong, um, but I, I, he was very clear in that that when you talked about well where what are these cuts that you propose and and where are you going to make them that he said right that at the highest level we need to we need to cut back to make the horses. The, the race is more uh, competitive and more compelling for the people who want to watch them. And that at the bottom, where the the fields routinely fill and where horses can't get into those races at the bottom, you know, I, I, I do a lot of uh, low-grade stuff for racing TV. I would I would go to um, Chelmsford City for a card of 0-60s and 0-55s and they always fill, and if you and, and when you go up the pyramid at the same track, the the, the field sizes are much smaller. So um, Peter Sav was very clear in that 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 the cuts will be made at the top level, but there will be more races put on at the bottom to give more opportunities for those horses who currently can't get them. So yes, that was at odds with the um, that that traditional uh, view, which which William Haggis uh, repeated this weekend, which was that we just need to, uh, we need a, a cull of, what, 300 races, or in, in his uh, case, 300 meetings. I can say this with some authority, but not complete certainty, that there are few race courses in the world that can inspire such devotion from their faithful as, as Saratoga. Um, Peter Rotundo Sr., has been coming to Saratoga and betting in the backyard for, for how long, Peter? 48 years. 1974 is the first time I came. And what were you doing in life in 1974? I was a foreign exchange broker uh, dealing foreign currencies uh, on Wall Street. 
And uh, how I came to Saratoga, actually, I was in the hospital. Uh, I, they thought I got a heart attack. They shipped me out to uh, Bailey Seton Hospital. And uh, I took the next month or uh, next few months off to recuperate. And lo and behold, I came to Saratoga. Uh, it's a strange place to come, I would imagine people would say. Uh, to come when you're uh, trying to get better, you know, and recuperate from we thought was a, a, a heart attack. Anyway, I came here and I just fell in love with the place. It's a beautiful racetrack. It's one of the oldest tracks, if not the oldest track in America. And, uh, you know, I went in the backyard uh, where you had the uh, bench benches here and tables and whatnot. And I just sat back. I bought two uh, bought two beach chairs. I sat there with my wife, just relaxed, hit some races, and I've been coming here ever since. Were you a horse racing fan before that? Oh yes. Uh, I went to the racetrack with my father when I was eight years old, and I remember I was an altar boy at the time. So uh, he took me to the track. He says, "I'm going to bet two dollars on a horse for you. Uh, what what do you want to play?" And it was a horse running the Monk. So that's a religious name. Two to win, eight dollars and eighty cents. I've been playing horses ever since. What is it that's so special about about this place for you? Whenever I see you here, you look as if you're in your in your happy place. Right. It's like it's for me. It's like uh, Christmas time. Uh, like you know, we're gonna see Santa Claus again. You know, uh, the same people from all these years. Just about you know, obviously some passed away, but uh, we come here and it's like a reunion. And uh, it just grows and grows and grows. In fact, we uh, have a good friend, uh, Bobby the Kid, we call him. I met him when he was like three years old. He's 31 now. And we see him every year. And he just, you know, gets bigger and bigger. And now he's a, he's a grown man. And we still uh, hang out and have a great time. The family here in the backyard is, is quite special. I come and see you most years when I'm here. I'm very good friends with your son, Peter, right. who people all know from his time at the Breeders' Cup and, and first racing. How how much does it mean to you that your own son and now his daughter are coming to Saratoga and doing exactly the same as, as you did all those years ago? Oh, it's fantastic. In fact, like I said, I got married in 74. In 75, 1975, Peter was only four months old and I brought him to the backyard in Saratoga and I'll never forget, I was rolling the stroller with him and some lady came over and said, you should be ashamed of yourself taking a baby to the racetrack. 35 years later, he's a big shot with the Breeders' Cup. Now he's with First Racing. And what really uh, puts icing on the cake is uh, last year, my granddaughter, my only granddaughter, my first granddaughter, Peter's uh, uh, daughter, uh, came at four months old in the backyard. And we're talking about a circle of life, a cycle of life. This was it. 47 years ago, I took my son at four months. 47 years old, uh, 47 years later, is my granddaughter here. Just a beautiful scene. And, and the, the, as I say, there's a, a real little community out, out the back here, but the, the intensity and the seriousness with which everybody here is studying their sheets and yeah. studying their form is something I don't see on any race course in, in the UK, certainly. It's like a love affair back here. Everybody, for the most part, is a serious handicapper. They have their sheets, their pace numbers, whatever. And uh, they, 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 bet, they, they bet the horses, uh, you know, with uh, a lot of intensity, but we still have fun. In the meantime, like between races, we'll be talking about the Yankees, Mets, 
or talking about the race that just passed, you know, how do we got beat a photo or whatever. But it was just like, even when you lose at Saratoga, you don't feel bad because a bad day at Saratoga is, a, is better than any day anywhere else in the world as far as I'm concerned. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. All right, thanks to all my guests today. David Yates is still with me, and he has a winner for you this fine Monday morning. The 130 at Kempton, number nine take a stand, didn't get the brakes behind Cabinet Maker when the pair ran at Chelmsford City 15 days ago. I hope that he can gain his revenge. Neil Callan is once again on board James Tate's three-year-old. Take a stand, number nine in the 130 race at Kempton Park. Uh, and uh, Dave, I'll leave you with the fact that as I as I left the race course yesterday, yesterday afternoon and just heading around the corner back up toward, up toward South Broadway, uh, there was a, a, a sign on the corner saying hungover question mark infusion intravenous hydration services av available at this number <laughs> which is the first time i've seen something like that leaving a race course but it probably tells I, you all about i hope that you didn't feel the need to avail yourself of that service Absolutely not. I wonder if William Buick does this morning. Um, Dave, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. We will be back to do all over again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.